podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. The one-meal-a-day approach to fasting is an efficient way to burn fat and lose weight. But eating only one meal a day, when done improperly, can deprive your body of the nutrients and energy it needs to thrive. Alyssa Seibertz shows us how to take this approach in the healthiest and most mindful way possible. Alyssa's book, The OMAD Diet, Intermittent Fasting with One Meal a Day to Burn Fat and Lose Weight, is a comprehensive guide that shows us exactly what we need to fuel our body to stay healthy, full, and burning fat. Then, once we have the technique down, it provides over 100 recipes to make our one-meal planning a breeze. Each delicious recipe comes with step-by-step instructions as well as complete nutritional information, so we can be absolutely sure we're getting the macronutrients, micronutrients, and vitamins we need. Valeria Tellez interviews Alyssa Seibertz. Alyssa is a freelance health and wellness writer and a frequent contributor to First of Women magazine and Women's World magazine, and is the food editor for Closer Weekly. She also writes for All Recipes, the healthy and wellness brands like Peloton and Power for Life Fitness. Her passion for health and wellness extends beyond her day job, and when she's not writing, she's teaching Zumba classes, cooking, snowboarding, or hiking with her husband and her dog. Meet Alyssa at alyssasyberts.com. Here is the interview with Alyssa Seibertz. In your own words, who is Alyssa Seibertz? Alyssa Seibertz is a person. She's a wife, a daughter, a sister. She's a writer, a reader, an athlete. She's she's curious. She's creative. She's kind. She is a dog mom. (laughs) (laughs) I think... I think that's a good a good sum up. Before we talk and explore some of the topics in your book, the OMAD diet, one meal a day diet, intermittent fasting with one meal a day to burn fat and lose weight. I have these warm-up questions as I mentioned off record. The first one for you, Alyssa, had to be this one. What is the meaning of well-being to you? I think there are a couple things that go into well-being. I think it's different for everybody. And something else that 
we just mentioned offline, which I think is probably the biggest part of well-being is being joyful and finding joy because someone could be doing all the things on paper that are supposed to make them healthy, make them fit, all of those kinds of things. But if they're not making them happy, then I don't really don't think there's much of a point. So I think well-being is finding the things that bring you joy while also improving your quality of life. Do you see a difference between the word well-being and wellness or they are all the same to you? I think they're pretty similar. I think you can be in pursuit of both in similar ways. I think that some there might be some people who associate wellness with more of the kind of physical aspects of being healthy and well-being with more of the mental aspects, but definitely one of the things I've learned in all like the work I've done in health and fitness and kind of in this field is that like being fit, being healthy is never just the physical. It's always mental and emotional and spiritual. And you really need all of these different elements together um, to kind of make up the whole of like pursuing wellness or well-being. Another question for you, a follow-up question about spiritual. What is to be spiritual to you? What is spirituality? I think spirituality can vary immensely from from person to person. To me, I think I think the biggest aspect of spirituality is just being willing to think about yourself as kind of a small piece of a bigger whole and whether you see whether that bigger whole for you is an organized religion or a practice like Ayurveda or meditation or something like that, but just kind of thinking about yourself in relation to this bigger whole and kind of how doing so can like bring you to greater understanding of yourself and the world around you, I guess. That resonates this idea of feeling this connectivity with something that's greater. Yeah, that's a good word. Greater than us, or even like around us, everything, everything that's here, people, everything we do. It has a a sense of harmony, I think, which we see in nature a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that word connectivity that you just used, because I think that is a huge part of it, just recognizing that you're not alone and that you, yeah, you are connected to, to people, to places, to nature, to all sorts of things. What do you think is the purpose of the human experience, the purpose of life? Oh boy. I think the purpose of life is, I think, I know we literally just said it, but I think it is to connect. So it's, to connect with the people whose paths you cross over the course of your life, to connect with 
your community to connect through an occupation or a career and kind of just not to walk on one path that never crosses with anybody else's um, to kind of make it so that your path zigs and zags and comes into contact with so many others so that you're kind of leaving your little mark in as many places as possible as you go. And that makes me think about the uh, unique purposes that each one of us have. Do you believe we all have a unique gift and purpose? I'm sure that I think everyone does have unique gifts. I think that believing that you have a like single purpose and always trying to figure it out could be almost like could be a little staggering for some people. And so I think it's more about like letting your purpose find you, I think, Mm, uh, as opposed Mm. to constantly searching for it. Because I think in a lot of cases, you're going to find it probably when you're not looking for it, (laughs) um, which I think I think is part of that is part of what happened with my journey, because I didn't really, at first, I didn't intend to uh, pursue a career in kind of health and wellness and fitness. And it just so happened that my first job in publishing was in the nutrition department at First for Women. And that kind of just put me, set me on this path that I have been on since and have since found so much joy and so much interest and in the ability to kind of share this, this, inform- this type of information with people and really try to impact their lives in that way. So I feel like while one may have a, like a larger purpose or goal in mind, they, it's always important to remain open to anything else that might come into play. What would you say to those who are in search for their purpose and with the sense of control and struggling to find it? What would be the strategy or the first step to take? Yeah, control control is tough. I definitely have found, have struggled with that. And especially like the last couple of years where I've been working for myself, um, I've been able to control every little kind of aspect of my schedule, the the work I choose to do, like when I eat breakfast, when I exercise, like things like that. But I can tell you that on I typically handle a lot of that, but then on the weekends, most of the time, um, my husband will plan some sort of a hike or an excursion for us to go on. And a lot of the time I have nothing to do with that planning. Mm -hmm. And it brings me so much joy to just go along and see what cool place he's going to take us to. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think, I think the advice there is to maybe 
choose kind of one small area of your life and relinquish control just in that one place and kind of see how it makes you feel. Um, See if like, if it is freeing or if it causes you anxiety or kind of um, what happens. But especially for me, I, I find that um, just that one thing, knowing that like someone else is going to take care of the planning, take care of the control, it, um, and then I can like get back to um, running <laughs> everything for myself on Monday. Um, it's really, it's really nice. <laughs> what are the signs? How do we know when the purpose found us, per se? Um, I think the biggest thing not to kind of harp on it again, but it's like, it's when it brings you joy. It's like the thing that the just thinking about doing it gives you butterflies. Mm -hmm. And like that, that still happens to me sometimes when I'm offered the opportunity to like try a new assignment that I've never done before. It's certainly what happened to me when I got the opportunity to write this book. And I think that that's a really good indicator. Um, And that when, like, if the day ever comes where you don't get those butterflies, then I think that that tells you that maybe it's time to look for something new. So how do we overcome or how do we deal with fear before we get to the point of surrendering and letting go of some sense of control in certain areas of our lives? Yeah, fear fear is tough. And it's something I have also been, been thinking about recently because I think there are different ways to approach it. Like certainly there are the people who try to kind of break things down into their smallest parts and search for a practical solution. And then there are people on the other end of the spectrum who are just like incredibly emotional in their uh, response to fear and things like that and can't even conceptualize how to approach the problem in a rational way. I think that the correct approach is probably somewhere in between, which is to allow yourself to feel the emotions, like allow yourself to feel the fear. Because if you don't, then it's, I don't think it's ever going to go away. You really have to allow yourself to live in it a little, which in itself is scary. Um, But I think once you do, and once you kind of feel it in your body for a little while, um, then you can start to kind of see the forest through the trees and start to recognize the rational, the specific kind of steps that you can then take to move forward. It really always goes back to being self-aware, self-knowledge, you know, these words that we use, which is basically knowing yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think that that can kind of have certain connotations for some people. And I feel like 
to be self-aware and to kind of recognize these things, it doesn't mean that you have to be like reading tons of books about it. It doesn't mean that you have to be journaling every night and writing down your feelings. Um, it just, it just means that, I think it just means that you just kind of listen to, listen to yourself because your the physical and the emotional are so connected. It's why like you could get, like you feel like you have a stomach ache when you're in an uncomfortable situation or you get butterflies when you're excited about something like your emotions will manifest in physical ways. And if you just like stop for a second to think about it, they're very easy to recognize and then kind of learn from and move forward from. So, What is the meaning of physical death? What's the meaning of death to you? Death is death is tough for me because to be honest, I'm still, I'm still scared of it. Um, I still, it's kind of one of the, the goals of my adult life is to find a way to come to an understanding and a acceptance of death, but I'm certainly not there yet, which I understand, I know about myself and I'm okay with at this point. Um, but it's certainly something that I don't have as much of an answer for at this point, but I hope to at some point in <laughs> at some point in the next 50, 60 years. <laughs> I love the idea of reflecting upon what is real, what could happen because and will happen. Yeah, definitely. What is the meaning of freedom to you? What is to be free? I think to be free is to have the ability and the opportunity to do anything and everything and be anything and everything you want to do and be. I think opportunity and accessibility are enormous parts of this, which have been especially kind of coming coming to the fore of late with what's been going on in our country. Um, so I think I think it goes far beyond just like the kind of basic definition that we learn in elementary school. But I think it starts it starts there and then kind of builds builds out. What about love? What do you think love is? Uh, I love love. Um, <laughs> oh, <tell me> about <laughs> it. <laughs> I'm, I'm constantly saying that when I'm like watching movies and TV shows. It's just it's it's always I'm a huge like romance fiction fan. It's just I I love it um, because like I know that it like love love is a happy ending. Like love is happily ever after love is like sitting down on the couch at the end of a like busy and stressful and tumultuous day with like the person who understands that you had a busy stressful and tumultuous day but will just hold you until you like start to feel all of that stress kind of melt away 
When you said love is the happy ending or a happy ending, that kind of uh, inspired me to think about life itself. So in a way, if life, whatever we call life, ended now, and if we have loved or we are loved and are loving others in life itself, in ourselves, then it would be a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think kind of going back to uh, what we were talking about earlier about kind of the purpose of life. And I was saying that it's to um, talking about how it's to like connect. And I think that love is probably one of the one of, if not the most powerful means of connection with with others and it may be with a like with a single partner or a family or a community or like a group of friends a found family um it could be could be any of those things but i think love and like the different ways that we can express it are is or is one of the most powerful tools we have to kind of forge those connections do you believe in unconditional self-love? That's a tricky one. Um, because <laughs> I think that the the instinct is to say yes, but then you think about people who are like making mistakes and doing terrible things. And like, do I want them to do the terrible thing and then say, well, I love myself, so it's okay. And I don't necessarily think that that is the right answer. And so I feel like, oh, yeah, it's tough. Um, Because whether or not you love yourself also shouldn't be based just on your actions, obviously, because there's so much more that what makes you a person than than just your actions. How did you become a writer, Alisa? I I think it was just, it was always what I wanted to do from a young age. My my favorite subject was always English. Um, I loved kind of writing little stories and just working on papers and things like that. By the time I got to college, I wasn't exactly sure what route I wanted to take with it. And I did a couple internships, uh, one of which was at a magazine and just kind of fell in love with the format. Granted, this was in 2012. And so one could say that magazines were already starting to decline. And I fell in love with the format nonetheless. Um, I just really... I loved kind of how the, I think that the relationship between a writer in a magazine and the reader is a really unique and personal one because the writer already knows so much about the specific reader and therefore is able to really dive into what that reader is looking for in a way that you can't when you're just like reporting news or um, things like that. And so that 
opportunity I was really drawn to. And I thought that format was really interesting. And so um, I started applying to jobs at magazines. And as I mentioned earlier, I wound up at First for Women, which is the uh, second best-selling newsstand magazine in the country. Um, And I got a role as an editorial assistant in their nutrition department. And then while I was there, got the chance to work on all sorts of things as far as nutrition and fitness and health and food and kind of really grew my ability to speak to readers about complicated things that might be hard to understand. And I was the person who was making it easier for them to understand it. And I also got the opportunity to speak with lots of experts and authors and uh, doctors in these different fields that I was writing about, which I feel like apart from perhaps like going to graduate school and in-depth studying a topic, I think one of the fastest ways to learn about something is to talk to the people who are studying and practicing it and then be tasked with explaining it to other people. (laughs) True. Um, Because I think, and so, yeah, so I feel like that being being in that position um, really gave me both an a broad education in the field and also a really good education in kind of how to write about this kind of stuff. What was the inspiration and also the intention of writing your book, The OMAD Diet? Uh, Sure. So this actually was an opportunity that came to me, I think, in a way that's a little bit different than a lot of people who write books in that the publisher, Ulysses Press, had decided that they wanted to publish a book about the OMAD diet. They weren't quite sure what they wanted it to look like or anything like that, but they put out a call for writers and were like, we want to do a book about one meal a day fasting. And so I kind of answered the call, pitched myself as the author, and then um, got to pitch like my my vision for the book, kind of what the finished product would look like. And they liked it. And so then I got the opportunity to write it. And so while they kind of gave me the very rough starting point in that they wanted it to be Um, some about the science behind fasting and OMAD, and then a big chunk of it to be a cookbook of meals that can be your one meal a day. Um, I just kind of took that starting point and then got to run with it. And it was really fun. Yeah, it sounds like fun to me. Yeah, fasting. This is something that I have experienced, I've tried and really, really works in a sense of energy level and clarity in mind, mental clarity. What are the benefits that you have experienced? Sure. So 
To be honest, I have not actually personally done a ton of fasting, which is why one of the things I knew off the bat I wanted to include in the book were kind of testimonials and stories from people who have found a lot of success with uh, one meal a day. So like I, I've done it a couple times. I definitely have found that the like people who think that they won't have energy because they're not eating, I certainly don't think that's true, as you just mentioned. Um, that, and I also found have found that when I when I would do it, I would typically have my one meal in the evening, and found that it made that meal that much more satisfying. And I really kind of slowed down to enjoy it. Um, That's actually one of the things that I included in my book, which I think you've looked at a bit is mindful eating, which I think should, I think has a really important place in one meal a day, because you certainly don't like your first instinct might be to kind of scarf this this meal down because you haven't eaten all day but if you really if you do like take your time and focus on the food and focus on how all of your senses are reacting to it um it makes it like that much more enjoyable and that much more filling um and i feel like one of the the things that like the gripes that a lot of people have with um, just kind of trying to eat healthily in general is that like they don't have the time to prepare however many healthy meals they need to. But with one meal a day, like it is only one meal. And so it is, I think, a little easier to be able to set aside the time to really enjoy it in that way. And I think that that is probably the biggest thing that I have taken away personally. I think the biggest thing that I took away from the folks who I talked to whose stories are featured in the book is that it really just made their lives easier because there are so many other diet plans that say you have to be eating small meals. You have to eat every two hours. Um, you have to kind of constantly be doing this. And especially people who might work like unique hours or not be able to cook every day, cook multiple times a day. Um, it can be incredibly stressful and disheartening to try to stick to programs like that. And so I think knowing that you only have to make or eat this one meal and you can have it at whatever time of day is most convenient for you kind of really removes a lot of those potential stressors and makes it easier to stick to the plan until you see results. That's true. That's how I felt when I did it. And I felt the body was happier which was interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think I do think too that even on the on the cellular level your body is probably a little happier when you are only eating once a day or just eating less in general because there are 
so many different processes that are going on every second of every day that are kind of keeping your body running efficiently. And these processes, it's true that they do require food for energy to keep them all going. But if you're not constantly putting new food into your body, then it's able to focus less on breaking down and all of this new food that's coming in and then sending it to wherever it needs to go and kind of just focus on the processes. And that's why I think that's where you get the kind of mental clarity and the energy and things like that because your bodies, those processes are able to get to a level of efficiency that they can't achieve when you're constantly eating and the body has to stop and go figure out what to do with this food. Another question that unrelated in a way to the subject or might be related is intuitive eating. Have you heard about this style, lifestyle? Yeah, that's basically kind of what you were just saying is eat when you're hungry and when you're starting to feel full, you stop, right? Is that kind of the gist? Yeah, I think this is part of it. And also what to eat. There's a a part where, from what I understand, I don't know much about it, but you ask the body every time or you ask yourself, what do you want to eat now when you're hungry? And then the body or the mind will lead you to the foods it needs. I think that's something that probably a lot of people do without realizing that they're doing it. Um, Because I think, Like some people will wake up in the morning and be like, oh, I'm in the mood for this today. And it's like, well, where is that coming from? Um, And I think some like, I mean, sometimes it's, oh, I'm in the mood for (laughs) baked French toast. And it's like, well, (laughs) but yeah, but a lot of times I think if you do listen to that, kind of on a regular basis, it will start tipping towards, oh, I'm in the mood for more vegetables or something like that. Like I certainly find myself sometimes if there are a couple days in a row where I have like pasta or things like that, then I'll wake up one morning and be like, ooh, all I want today is like a salad that requires a lot of chewing and that like takes me a really long time to crunch and kind of things like that. And I feel like that's that's one of those instances where um, your body is telling you what it needs and you just got to listen to it. Another question I have about fasting is, do you think anyone can do this or this is just for certain people? Well, there are certainly like people with certain health conditions for whom it's not advised. Like for example, if you have low blood sugar and you need to like maintain a certain level, then you probably shouldn't be eating as infrequently as once a day. But I think like specific health conditions aside, if you mention it to your doctor and your doctor has no objections, then I don't think there's any reason not to try it. I spoke to one person from the book who is a man in his 20s who's a professional athlete and uses it and finds that it actually has helped him 
like build muscle and maintain endurance and stuff, which some people feel like, like the, that shouldn't make sense. Like he should be eating more calories, things like that. But it really kind of, I think that, I think that as long as your doctor or a healthcare professional doesn't have any kind of health related specific objections to it, that anyone could could try it and find that they that it improves their health in some way. What would be the an example of a perfect meal? Yeah, I think so that's kind of so as I mentioned, there are there are over a hundred recipes in my book, um, the majority of which are one meal. And I tried my goal with all of them was to create a incredibly kind of well-rounded meal nutritionally that kind of met as many of your nutritional vitamin, like those requirements as possible and also be incredibly high in protein and fiber um, because those are the things that are going to give you those feelings of fullness and give you that energy that you're looking for. Um, And so I'd probably say I have a whole chapter in my book on bowls. So those are kind of your recipes that start with a grain, which might be brown rice or quinoa or farro. Um, And then you throw in a bunch of vegetables. So I think probably I don't have it in front of me, so I might mess up an ingredient or two. But one of my favorite recipes in the book is a kind of a fall harvest bowl. And so it has, it starts with one of those grains and then it has roasted sweet potatoes and um, Brussels sprouts. And then I think it's got some beets and some chicken and some arugula and some goat cheese and some walnuts, I think. And so kind of hitting on as... Oh, yeah. And then it's got a um, kind of a maple vinaigrette. And so what I tried to do was pull in kind of as many different food groups as possible, which I think an easy way to do that is to incorporate as many different textures as possible into a meal. And then you'll kind of find that you've automatically brought in lots of food groups. Um, So it's like you want something like warm, kind of heartwarming, like there are your roasted veggies and your rice, like you want something crunchy, there's your arugula and your walnuts, you want something creamy, there's your goat cheese, um, and then something to bring it all together. And there's your vinaigrette. And I feel like I tried to build all the recipes in that way. And if you, I think that's kind of a good strategy for anyone trying to build a single meal is to um, kind of think about it in that way of incorporating like as many different textures and like food groups as as you can into the one meal. 
I guess. Um, and a bowl isn't isn't the only way the only way to do it. It's just I think it's one of the most fun ways to do it because you can kind of put so many so many different things together and make something that's really delicious. So. I know. It sounds like it. Gosh, now you inspired me to kind of do that. <laughs> the only thing about it, it's not warm, right? So this is not hot. Well, it can be, it can be warm. Yeah. Mm, I think yeah. it could, it could be either. Yeah. It's something, that's something I like to do in a lot of my cooking too, is to, especially with bowls, is to kind of start with a theme and then kind of build in these different ingredients and textures around it. So one that I came up with recently, I was like, ooh, I want to make an Italian bowl. And so <laughs> I thought to myself, what could I put in that? And I was like, well, maybe the quote unquote dressing, like that could be pesto. Like mm -hmm. that would be fun. Something kind of smooth and chewy. Ooh, that could be roasted red peppers something creamy that could be burrata, something like heartier for protein that could be like chicken or cannellini beans and kind of just pulling in different things that remind me of the theme right. and then putting them all together. And oh, wow, I think that's kind of a, a fun way to, to build recipes. That, that is fun. <laughs> yeah, that was probably one of the one of the most fun parts for me was the developing all of these recipes for the book because it wasn't, I mean, I've been cooking and kind of throwing things together like that for many years, but had never really sat down to think about how I would do it myself. And then something else that I did in the uh, recipe development, which I thought was fun, was kind of take classic recipes and figure out how to make them like more filling and more like kind of incorporate more of the elements that would make it good to eat once a day. So that meant kind of taking things and adding in like flax seeds for fiber. Or um, I took a, I have a recipe in there for like a shepherd's pie style recipe, but I added lentils to the filling with the ground beef to add like some protein and fiber. So it was kind of also in addition to building things from scratch, kind of taking these more classic recipes and thinking about how I could kind of tweak things or add things to bring in more protein and fiber and make them more satisfying. That sounds like a wonderful idea if you had like a book only with these bowls. I know you call them one bowl wonders. That sounds great to me too. That sounds like a wonderful idea to develop. I have a few more questions for you. Before I ask them, would you like to add anything? Yeah, just maybe to add um, a couple other things about what's in the book briefly. And so we, I mentioned that there are tons of recipes. There is a chapter of all these bowl-style recipes, but then there are also... Um, salads and soups and chilies. And then there's a whole chapter of um, what I learned from my mom as protein plus two, which is kind of your classic. There's a protein on your plate. There's a starch on your plate. There's a veggie on your plate kind of thing. Um, there's a chapter of more of your kind of indulgent recipes, which those, while most of the chapters in the book 
make one serving, but could easily be doubled or tripled. Um, the last chapter is all, as are the soups and chilies, um, they all serve for more people. And so that last chapter has things like different pasta dishes and like pulled pork and enchiladas and kind of all fun things like that. Um, and then there's also a chapter of what I call breakfast style meals. So like just because you're only eating one meal, it doesn't mean you can't have like oatmeal or eggs or things like that. So uh, there's a whole chapter of those as well. And yeah, then the the first part of the book kind of goes into the science behind, which we mentioned briefly, like what is happening at the cellular level while you're fasting and kind of what's going on there. And then a bunch of the research that has been done into the various benefits of fasting. Um, and then there's also info on like when to eat some stuff on exercise, um, some things about what you actually can have during your fast. So that's things like um, coffee and tea and water and uh, broth and also what I call fat bombs, which are these little kind of treats made from a fat like um, coconut oil and coconut butter. And then you could add something like cacao powder um, or something like that. And so you, they make, and then you stick them in the freezer and they make these really kind of indulgent little treats that are all, they're like completely fat. So even if you eat it during your fast, it won't kind of pull your body out of its fasted state. And so it's kind of just a little, a little something to help you, help you get to your one meal if you need it. And yeah. That's that's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, the nice. book. I don't. I don't know if you're going to mention this at the end, but the um the book goes on sale December eighth, but is kind of is on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all the places already. So Wonderful. it's been exciting to to see it there, but I'm <laughs> I'm just as excited to finally have it um be available for people to to read. So. Thank you for your participation, Alicia, in this reality, <laughs> helping us to become more aware of joy, because ultimately this will lead to that state of mind. Thank you so much. Thank you. How do you define success these days? What is to be successful? I think to be successful is to be meeting all of the meeting or surpassing the goals that you have set for yourself, again, coming back to it in a way that like brings you joy. I think that those goals don't have to be financial or like things like that, but those goals can be something about contributing to your community or something like that. But I think if you're, if you're meeting them, and you are joyful while you're doing it and you're ending the day with a sense of self-love, then mm -hmm. I think that is success. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? Ooh, I think 
I would send more greeting cards. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, (laughs) that's, Mm -hmm. it's something I, I like to send greeting cards to my friends and family sometimes just, just because, and every time I do it, I like, it brings people so much joy, especially because like the physical mail is not as big of a presence in our lives anymore. I think it's always, it's just fun to get them and fun to see that someone like took the time to write it and send it. And then of course, it's like, it may only be a small note, but I think you can give a very meaningful message in a small note. And so I think I would just want to make sure that like everyone around me knows how much they're loved and appreciated. What are three things about life you know for sure as of now? I know that family is the most important thing. I know that everyone should try to be outside in nature as much as they possibly can and that it will make an immense difference in their mental and physical health. And I know that Oreos are the perfect (laughs) snack. (laughs) Very good. Thank you so much for this beautiful conversation. Yeah, I love your wisdom. Thank you, Alyssa. Thank you so much for having me. I do have one more question. I know you mentioned before, I'll have the links to your book and website and all in a written form, but please tell us where to find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects. Sure. So again, the the name of my book is uh, The OMAD Diet. It is um, available for pre-order now on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and through a variety of um, independent booksellers. Um, I also have a link and you can find more about me and my work on my website, which is alyssasyberts.com. So that's A-L-Y-S-S-A-S-Y-B-E-R-T-Z.com. Um, and there's links to, um, the different publications I write for, um, some more info about my book, things like that. Um, and yeah, that's probably the, the easiest way to find me. Wonderful. Thank you so much again. And we'll talk soon. Sounds great. Thank you. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Alyssa Seibertz and her work, please visit alyssaseibertz.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.